everyone. Um, I'm finally back from my pod- little podcast break, and today I will be continuing my series on acing the application. And I'm here with Jake Schauger from the Commercial Law Academy. Hi, Jake. How you doing? Good to good to be here. Thank you for coming to this podcast. Would you like to talk a bit about yourself and your career um, just before we dive into the episode? Sure. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. So um, I'm Jake. I I guess I, I always start presentations and, and a lot of the interviews I do saying that I've had pretty much every job you can imagine from the age of 16. I've worked in catering. I've been a bin man. I've done a paper round. I used to collect trolleys from a supermarket car park, worked on a building site, uh, taught drum kit for 10 years. And I, and I like to make those points because I know loads of people have had similar experiences to that, but they don't feel like they're relevant to talk about in the recruitment process for professional careers. But they are. Mm-hmm. Like working from a young age like that shows that you're independent, you've got work ethic, you're a self-starter. Roles like being a waiter or a waitress show you've got client-facing skills. So you know, I, I'm proud of those jobs. And, and sometimes I've built a rapport with people in interviews or networking situations where they've had similar jobs in, in their youth. Um, so openly talk about that stuff. Uh, anyway, so at the age of 18, I, I had a place to study animation at university. Um, slacked it off to take a gap year with some friends I'd played music with and then got a very small record deal in that gap year and spent the next five years having the absolute time of my life recording an album, touring around the UK, all that kind of stuff. Um, now we had very little success and made even less money, um, but it was a brilliant experience until our, until our singer quit, uh, at which point we yeah. then went off to university. I studied law and business, explored um, law, banking, um, consulting careers, but quite quickly decided commercial law was the route for me um, and then went through the whole process of open days, internships, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I eventually accepted a training contract at Freshfields, having interned at some US firms, Magic Circle and, and a Silver Circle firm, um, and then really enjoyed the last year of my degree, knowing that that job was was sorted. Now, in that time, I ended up writing kind of by accident, um, my first book, and it was the, the terrible first edition of the Commercial Law Handbook. And I wrote that to give it out for free um, as part of a mentoring scheme that I was running at university. But the response to it was really good. I got loads of feedback. I really enjoyed that writing process. And then over the years, I've developed it through loads of different editions. And then that book became, there was a second book on banking, a third book, and, and then it became this series of eight books. So really with no strategy and quite by accident, ended up setting up um, this career-centric publishing business, um, which was nice. I then did my training contract, um, decided quite early on that big city law wasn't for me, but I got to the end, I qualified as a lawyer, um, much to the amazement of my friends, I quit the city at that point. And this was what, six years ago now, seven years ago, it's scary how fast time goes. But um, anyway, I'm still a practicing lawyer. I do mainly employment, some commercial law, but freelance for startups and founders and and entrepreneurs. and, And that I find really fun, just a few hours a month. But the main thing I do nowadays, and this was actually born out of the pandemic and needing to connect with people in a virtual setting. Uh, my main role is is running Commercial Law Academy, as, as you mentioned earlier. So Commercial Law Academy is this e-learning platform for aspiring commercial lawyers. We've currently got 22 courses covering every aspect of the recruitment process, commercial awareness and professional skills. So we've got courses like how to answer career motivation questions, how to research firms and identify USPs, link them back to yourself. We've got example successful applications up there. We've got assessment center insights from previous candidates at different firms. We've got a psychometric test course, a prepping for interview course. We've got like more than 90 firm profiles now. On the commercial awareness side, we've got a course on um, M&A, we've got 14 interview case studies based on 
the types of case studies that have come up from law firms, there's courses on legal tech, how businesses are run, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, commercial, commercial awareness, current affairs. Uh, and then on the professional skills part, we cover things like networking, managing nerves, delivering presentations, uh, negotiation, writing professionally. And then we have a course on um, imposter syndrome, rejection, growth mindset mm-hmm. with some really good senior guests um, guests contributing to it. So, yeah, still do a whole mix of stuff. Do some consulting for law firms on the strategy and commercial side as well. And I, I love it. I'm very excited for today's episode because I think it's a very relevant topic and I really do need some advice on it as well. Um, and we're going to be discussing interviews, uh, both face, uh, face-to-face interviews and virtual interviews. And as a short rundown of what we're going to discuss, we're going to talk about mentally preparing for interviews, preparing for commercial awareness, um, competency questions, and virtual interviews and how they're different. Jake, could you please tell us how we can mentally prepare for interviews and specifically stay calm under the pressure? Because I know for many people, it's very um, it's a very nervous experience, especially if it's their first interview. Um, do you have any tips on that? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I, I went through full assessment centers at six firms and I was so much more terrified at the first one than I was on, on the last one. Um, so I've been through this firsthand. And there were various things that worked for me. Different things will work for different people. Um, firstly, and it's kind of the obvious thing to say, like put the work in. Make sure you are incredibly familiar with your, your experiences and your competencies so that whatever question comes up, you've got something that you can draw on to answer that question. Do your firm research and go to a sort of another level compared to what you do on your applications because firms might really press you on that. So if you've mentioned a deal on your application or some kind of case, they may well say, tell me everything you know about that. That happened to me in my Latham and Watkins interview. So really <laughs> press that. Um, make sure you can talk confidently about your your career motivation. It's easier to put it down on an application form, but when you've got to speak for a bit longer, you know, maybe talking through your chronology and how all your experiences uh, contributed and, and furthered your motivation, but put some work into that uh, and make sure your, your commercial awareness is up to scratch. And I know we're going to talk about that probably a little bit later on. Um, another thing you can do is to get your intro down. Because if you, if you get your introduction to yourself really good and they ask you to introduce yourself at the start, that will help you to relax into the interview. So prepare for a question like, you know, tell me about yourself. And the way I do that, I, I normally say start with something like, I was born and raised in X and then just talk through your education, little bit of your work experience. Don't, don't go into the, uh, like off on a complete tangent with your career motivation answer. And then talk about your interests and your passions and the things you do outside of academia and work. You know, almost like if, if someone asked you this question, a friend of a friend in a, in a pub, what makes you interesting isn't just your education and, and your motivation. So bring in all that stuff. Plus, if you've got a, a kind of weird and wonderful interest and the interviewer happens to have that same interest, you might then end up having a five, 10 minute discussion about something completely unrelated to the career you're going for. And again, that helps you to relax um, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. In the build up, ask others to mock interview you. I think whatever the situation, even if it's a friend, the second they say, right, pretend this is an interview, you will feel some level of pressure. So the more mock interviews you do, the more that pressure will start to feel natural. Um, You can achieve something fairly similar as well by recording yourself. And if you record yourself and watch it back, you'll then become aware of nervous tics, saying things like, um, you know, Uh, you will see if you're not looking at the the webcam, which is a good practice for eye contact. You'll see if you're speaking to 
quickly, you're not smiling, not coming across as enthusiastic. So you just become a bit more self-aware. And I think mock interviews and recording can help with that. Then on the day, like firstly, you probably show up and see other applicants. Like don't try and compare yourselves to them. You don't know them. Um, They might seem like they're great on paper. They might look highly professional. They might seem really confident on the outside. But for all you know, they lack the social skills or the enthusiasm or the the people skills needed for an interview. Or or maybe internally, they really do lack that confidence. I fell into that trap of comparison when I went in there. And uh, I didn't have the most obvious background going into law, having been a musician for five years. Plus, I was like first generation to go to university in my family, first lawyer in the family, um, state school educated. It had been very easy to get intimidated. But I just tried to focus on my strengths and that helped me to relax a little bit. Um, Finally, at the start of the interview, you'll probably be asked if you want a glass of water. Now, when I'm nervous, I get overly polite and just say no without thinking, but say yes. Um, If you've got a glass of water in front of you, it will feel so much more natural pausing to think about an answer if you're if you're taking a sip. So little little practical tip there, except that glass of water. But um, those are my, my kind of high level recommendations. That's actually a very good tip. I didn't think of that because I, I think it's the problem, at least for me with interviews, is that I feel like there isn't enough time to think about something. So like little tips like this really help with, you know, having a little pause to structure your answer. Um, and what would you say, I mean, you already said that it's important to have um, a strong introduction. And what would you say is the importance of also wrapping it up? I don't think you need to worry too much about wrapping the interview up. I think your interviewers will normally be in control of that. It's probably more important to think about how you wrap up your answers so that you don't go off on too much of a tangent. You know, another thing that I tend to do when I'm nervous is speak too much. So a mechanism that worked well for me would be to keep my answers concise and then to stop me worrying about not going into enough detail, I would then ask some kind of question at the end. That might just be something like, you know, is there anything there you would like me to elaborate on? Or if it was a commercial question and I give my answer, I might then try and ask them a question about their opinion or how it's come up in practice. But I, I find, you know, ask, asking a question can be a good way of bringing an answer to a natural pause without you going on too much. But at the end of the interview, you know, thanking them for their time or, or whatever. Hopefully they'll ask you if you've got any questions and you should prepare some questions, but um, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that until you know how the interview is going to run. And I guess now we can move on into the commercial awareness questions. I think the most, um, I, I guess the hardest part for students um, and sort of something that interviewers, interviewers will really test you on. Um, And so could you just talk about how important it is to stay commercially aware and what the interviewers expect you to know? So what kind of level of um, commercial awareness should you have? Is it just like the basics or um, should you focus on some commercial stories to tell and bring up some deals and cases? I think it really depends on the firm and every interview process is different. Sometimes a firm will say, we are setting you a case study and it turns out the case study is kind of simple high level analysis of legislation or a fake contract or something like that or it might be an MA based case study that is a presentation so i got i got once asked in an interview um, a massive hotel chain is looking to acquire a famous central london hotel 
how can the firm help? So that's talking about the role of different practice areas um, in, in an M&A context. So I've actually created a mock interview with a model answer around that question in my interview case studies course. Um, sometimes firms say, oh, there's a written exercise. And the written exercise might involve some level of proofreading and writing something, but it then might also involve like a written analysis of various background materials that have a commercial slant. So it can come up in lots of different ways. In, in a bunch of interviews, uh, the interviewer said to me, what have you been reading about in the news and, and why have you found it interesting? So the current affairs aspect can come in there. And it's impossible to prepare for everything. Um, some firms might go a little bit more in depth than others, but I think there are some fundamentals that you should have in place when you go to an interview, especially if you know there'll be some kind of commercial awareness element. So in high level terms, know what the sort of eight key practice areas do. And if this firm has a niche specialism, those practice areas too, in case you're asked to, to give an insight into that. And if you're not able to do that, it doesn't reflect well on your career motivation, because if you don't know what the career involves, it's hard to convince the firm that that's the career you want to do. Um, I would also try to make yourself, give yourself at least a foundational understanding of M&A concepts and contractual protections. Things like, why would one business buy another? How would a business finance its operations and finance acquisitions? How does profitability work? Um, what are other options for growth and expansion? How would you value a business? not in super technical ways, but understand that stuff to some extent. That came up a few times for me across my different interviews. And then when we talked about risks, they might say, well, how could we help a client mitigate against these risks? So me just having a basic knowledge of what is a warranty? What is an indemnity? What is a conditions precedent? What is an undertaking? Um, that was really, really helpful. Um, then I would go in there with a, a fairly decent awareness of current affairs, like what is going on the business world, political world, you know, the, the, how's the economy doing? Again, not probably the kind of detail you would need if you were um, interviewing for a sales and trading role where they might say something to you like, you know, what was the price of gold yesterday? Not not that level, but just having this good awareness and understanding of what's going on. And there's there's lots of different ways to do this. So you know, on, on the M&A point, I've got a course called Mergers and Acquisitions that goes through the concepts that came up in most of my interviews and I explain how conversations evolved during case study discussions and then how these things came up. Um, same for contractual protections. There's a whole video on them in that course. On the current affairs side, I mean, I've got a course on current affairs where an ex-stockbroker talks about how to choose a news story, how to talk about the news story um, and give some, give some examples. But you know, more generally, I, I think the best approach is little and often. I've got this analogy, like if you pick up a dense novel, you know, 600 pages and you open page one, you start reading it's not gripping at that point because you don't you don't understand why you're being told what you're being told. You don't know who the characters are. You don't care about the characters. You don't understand how the storyline you're reading fits into the wider context. But once you're 100 pages in, 150 pages, assuming the book is good, that's where you're really into it and it becomes really gripping because you understand how all these different threads kind of come together. And that for me is the same with commercial awareness and, and reading about current affairs. If you open the Financial Times and, and read three paragraphs and close it again, it's not going to be interesting. But if you can get in the habit of reading the news for even just five, 10 minutes a day, every day, um, you will start to see how this stuff develops. And that will make it more interesting and it'll make it easier to remember. So you know, whatever works for you, just find a way to build that in as a habit. Whether it's, um, for me, I, I subscribe to The Economist's Free Digest uh, and then a bi-weekly free digest from this tech um, sort of online publisher called CB Insights, and I subscribe to Watson's Daily. So Watson's Daily helps me with the business news, and, and Peter Watson 
has this so what section at the end of every article explaining why it's relevant or what it could mean. CB Insights covers like tech trends, investment trends. So it covers that knowledge. And then The Economist in like, I don't know, a couple of hundred words covers the key things going on um, in politics and the economic landscape and all that kind of stuff. So it covers those bases. So some people might instead prefer podcasts or YouTube videos and whatever it takes to build it into your routine. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, if you are asked about a more detailed analysis of a business story, I always found BBC Business News helpful for researching something in a bit more detail because it's well-written, it's concise, it's easy to understand. But also at the bottom of every article, you have these related links that can show you how a particular story has evolved over time. So I would take a bunch of notes on that and that's how I would present my research. Um, So, you know, one other habit that I would recommend getting into is every time you see a term you don't understand, might be the word bond, it might be indemnity, look it up. Investopedia is a brilliant website full of kind of finance, business, legal terms. So if I didn't understand what bond meant, I would Google bond definition, Investopedia. Um, And again, it takes a couple of seconds. It might be annoying at the start having to Google stuff all the time, but it's a lot easier than trying to suddenly learn hundreds of terms in the week leading up to an interview because you're worried you don't understand enough. Um, So Mm -hmm. that can help. Similarly, if there's a big company that's coming up all the time, you don't know what it does, give it a quick Google. Um, So that's my advice around preparing for it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. And especially with building a routine around, um, you know, staying commercial aware every single day, even if it's just five minutes a day. But what would you say if someone is preparing on a tight deadline and they still haven't developed enough commercial awareness to that point, um, what would your advice be? Okay, this this is a bit of self-promotion, but it's genuinely the advice I would give. I would say, like, if you've only got 10 hours to prepare and you're trying to cram it, um, do our course on mergers and acquisitions. Um, do our interview case studies, especially the one around the role of law firms. Go through our business of law firms course in case you get asked questions like, why would a client choose this firm? Or how could this firm maintain a competitive advantage? Those types of questions. Um, go through our legal tech course. That can come up sometimes. It's like a, a challenge the industry is facing in a way that firms are trying to deal with those those challenges. Um, and then go into our current affairs course. And every month we upload a one hour session, myself and this ex-stockbroker on the key events that have happened in the previous month and food for thought. And I throw a few legal ones in there as well. And we look at it from a business perspective and a market perspective. And at least that can try and help you get up to date. But I would mm-hmm. still then look into one or two stories in more detail and think about you know, why the story is interesting, how it's progressed, and, and potentially try to relate it back to the firm in some mm-hmm. way. It doesn't need to be in a technical way or a really complicated way, but um, find some way to link it back to the firm in case you're asked. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend those courses as well because I I was doing them recently um, to sort of prepare for everything. And yeah, they're really good. (laughs) Cheers. Um, And what about if you are in an interview and they are asking you a commercial awareness question um, or just testing your commercial awareness and on the spot you can't think of anything or you forget information, um, how would you? kind of play it off play it off it's a hard one if you get asked about a concept that you fundamentally don't know what it means then you've got to come clean because if you blag it yours just seem like you really don't know what you're talking about and I did get asked things in interviews that I fundamentally didn't understand and then we had a discussion around that and then they might say okay I'm going to explain to you what it is but then I want to test how you would apply that 
And then it's up to you to see if you can adapt in, in some kind of way. But I think, you know, if they say to you, tell me about a new story you've read about, or tell me about one of the firm's deals and you haven't got an answer to hand, there's no way of really masking that because it will suggest mm-hmm. you don't have commercial interest, you don't have commercial awareness, you haven't done your research about the firm in advance. Um, it really depends. So yeah, something technical. And if there's no reason why in your education you would have learned that, hopefully firms will be understanding if you say, actually, I don't know that one. As long as you know some other stuff and you're able to demonstrate it. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, you're competing against other people for these places. And if they've done their work and they do know all of these concepts and they have good knowledge of what's going on in the world and, and all of that stuff, they're going to be a safer hire than you because they've showed that they've put in the work and that they have enough of an interest to cover those bases. That, that makes sense. And I guess now we can move on to the competency questions, which I would say is one of the biggest sort of category of questions that interviewers ask. Um, could you please just give a brief overview of what they are and maybe some examples just so people listening can um, understand what we're talking about? Sure. Competency questions are questions designed to help an interviewer understand which skills you've developed and, and, and demonstrated or drawn on in the past. And I guess they want to see from that that you've developed the foundational transferable skills you'll need to succeed as a trainee. So it might be questions about teamwork, leadership, communication, all those kinds of things. They can be framed in different ways. So you might get a question, something like, tell me about a time you worked in a team and dealt with conflict. Now that that sometimes is is referred to as like a a scenario-based question, or it could be framed as a situational judgment question, but ultimately you're needing to show the firm that you have worked successfully in a team or you have been able to resolve a conflict. These, These kind of key professional skills. So that's that's what they are. I mean, firms tend to distinguish between strength-based questions and competency-based questions, and strength-based questions are a bit more about figuring out not just what you're good at, but what you enjoy doing as well, what energizes you, because there might be something you're good at, but it doesn't energize you, and therefore you don't really like doing it, you become less efficient or less happy over time, whereas there might be other things that you're good at, but also really really makes you feel good or or you really enjoy employing that skill and you kind of want people where those two things match up but yeah on competency questions more about your skills and the way to demonstrate your skills is through talking about your experiences does that make sense yes yes it is so would you say that you have to know your cv very well Yes, incredibly well. And because there there are an unlimited number of questions that could come up, the safest way to prep is to know all of your experiences and the skills you can draw from them rather than trying Mm -hmm. to plan an answer for every competency question you can think of. So I used Mm -hmm. to have a version of my CV where I footnoted every one of the entries and in the footnotes wrote down all the extra information that I couldn't fit within the actual CV. So I went on this government-funded study program to India on my CV, I just had high-level bullet points, you know, selected for this study program, had these cultural experiences, did a mini internship. But in the footnotes, I wrote down like the names of every speaker that delivered a workshop and what they talked about. I wrote in detail about the cultural experiences we had. I wrote down loads of stuff about my um, internship. And it meant, you know, one of my interviews, this competency side, I think I had something like 25 rigid competency questions. And there might have been two or three about teamwork and Mm-hmm. And the only, I could never have prepared for that by trying to guess the questions. The only way I got through that and luckily got an offer at the end of it, so I think the approach worked, was by knowing my, my CV in, in that level of detail so I could always draw upon something. Now, you could you know, pick out the eight competencies that you think are most likely to come up, the key transferable skills, put them as headings on a page, and I did do this as well, and then under each skill heading, I ranked two or three experiences that I think I could draw on to talk about that. 
So when I was asked about teamwork multiple times, I knew that the first experience I wanted to talk about was um, running a finance society. The second experience was being in a band. And the third experience was was something else. Um, and it just helped me to structure my thoughts a little bit. Um, and how would you structure your answer in um, the interview? So would you talk about, uh, would you just dive straight into your experience or would you, you know, begin by answering, you know, why you, why you're good at something and then dive into your experiences? It, it really depends on the question. Like if, if yeah. I think as a general point, never assume any knowledge on behalf of your interviewer about you, mm. the role, the organization. People make that mistake all the time. It's so important that you give context, whatever the question is given. If you're talking about experience, give context, unless it's the most obvious thing in the world. So um, you could start off by saying, you know, I was hired or elected or selected. They won't know that and they mm. won't necessarily assume that. So if it is paid work, for example, or if you did have to go through a selection process, make it clear, they won't know whether this was part-time role or full-time role summer role um so explain that um explain what the actual organization does um so if you say i'm part of the you know european law students association i'm the treasurer don't assume mm -hmm. they'll know what what the european law students association actually does or means or, or what their mission is don't assume they even know what a treasurer does so i think you need to give background about that otherwise everything you say afterwards might go a little bit over their heads mm -hmm. um then talk about what your role or contribution involved. Some people end up going high level, talking about we, just explaining what the team does, and at no point really pinpoints what they as an individual did or achieved. So don't forget that part. Mm. Um, and then if you are talking about a particular skill, make sure that whatever aspects of your role or contribution you draw out does properly relate to the skills you've talked about. You know, if you say, whilst treasurer of the finance society, I was responsible for invoicing and going through data sets and budgeting and all this kind of technical stuff doesn't mm. make sense then saying you know and as a result i developed team working skills because it's not obvious enough how you would have de developed those skills if instead you talked about analytical skills and numeracy skills and attention to detail that would make sense um mm. so yeah just just in general make sure that the skills you bring out properly link to the aspects of your role that you focused on um but I, I should say that I know people talk about the star structure a lot and sometimes yeah. the star structure can be helpful. And that's, you talk about the situation, then the task, then the action, then the result, but it's not always relevant. And sometimes students fall down by trying to give an answer in the star structure when actually it's completely irrelevant. If someone says, why do you want to work for this firm? Star makes no sense. There is no specific situation. There is no result. Um, mm. So as a rule of thumb, star tends to be the most relevant when you are asked a question that starts with something like, tell me about a time where that lends itself to it nicely. So if they said, tell me about a time where you had to manage competing responsibilities, you could say situation when I was the elected president of finance society, a society responsible for widening access to the banking profession. Then you can go on to task. You know, I was tasked with arranging a society ball. Then action um which is a little bit like your your role what you did so you know i recruited a team i had to delegate work we had regular catch-up meetings negotiated with sponsors venues sorted pricing budgeting you know branding all the different things that you had to balance mm -hmm. um and then the result gives something that adds a bit of credibility that proves you were successful you could say you know, as a result we put on the biggest ball on campus it sold out weeks in advance we received great feedback across the board and all that kind of stuff so that's an example of where i think star structure would work well but don't immediately think this has to be star structure i think your first thought should be will they understand this experience and if not how much context should i should i give them
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, because I have tried sometimes to merge my answers into the star structure and it just didn't work. So I think that's good advice. And I guess last sort of point on the competency questions is do you have any advice on answering what's your biggest weakness sort of questions? Because yeah, I think so it's people, one of the trickiest ones. People don't like this. It, 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 is, it can yeah. be tricky. I think it's really important that you don't try and frame a like a positive attribute as a weakness because it will just suggest you have like no real ability to self-reflect. So saying okay. I'm a perfectionist, saying sometimes I'm too ambitious or I work too hard, like I don't think firms will be impressed like that. The point of this question is to show your self-awareness and then to see how you deal with a genuine weakness. You know, do you actively try to improve? So don't present a positive. Um, also avoid a weakness that f- like fundamentally goes to the core of the role. So if you're looking to get a job as a trainee solicitor, probably wouldn't mention something like attention to detail or working in teams or working with other people because those are fundamental. You know, if mm-hmm. you were looking to be a barrister, if you're talking about public speaking, debating, that's probably not the best thing to bring up. Um, so you've got mm-hmm. to think about a weakness that doesn't go to the core of the role, but is a genuine weakness. So in a solicitor context, good examples I've heard are things like confidence when networking. Don't You don't need to be a really confident networker day one as a trainee. Um, and that would be a great answer if you can then show how you've gone outside of your comfort zone to get better at it. So maybe you have signed up to five career fairs every year throughout university and, and forced yourself to practice networking so that it will feel more natural, so that you will become more confident. And if you are talking about public speaking, which might be okay for a solicitor and, and confidence around it, and you've signed up to mooting or debating or taken some active step, then again, that would be a really good answer because it's not a red flag mentioning that. And you're actually showing yourself in a very positive light by explaining how you've then tried to improve upon that weakness. If delegation is, is for me was one of my main weaknesses during my training contract I don't, I don't know how many chances students have to delegate maybe if you're running a society but that was another thing I didn't need to be brilliant at it from the get-go and I took loads of active steps to try and learn more about good delegation and improve upon that so yeah I thought those examples would would help people to think of a weakness that strikes the right balance yeah no that was great because um, I definitely think it's one of the trickier questions um, and I hope that people found it useful that we just talked about it. And lastly, I just want, wanted to talk about virtual interviews. It's something that became really popular, I guess, recently, especially after COVID, uh, where everything was moved online. Um, and now many firms have it in their recruitment process before the actual in-person interviews. Uh, what would you say about that? How are they different from face-to-face interviews? So there are different types of virtual interviews. You've got pre-recorded video interviews where there is no one on the other side necessarily. And sometimes like a question might flash up and you've got, say, 30 seconds to prepare. And then you've got 60 seconds to record your answer. And then it goes on to the next question. I think those are probably the most terrifying, but they didn't really exist when I was applying. I'm I'm glad they didn't because it's not much time to gather your thoughts. um, And that's quite difficult. And it's, and it's very hard to come across as enthusiastic and engaged when there is nobody on the other side of the screen. Um, in those situations, you've just got to remember that everyone else at that stage is in the same boat. You know, nobody is going to be able to give the best version of themselves. So don't be too hard on yourself. And I know people that have come out of those thinking, oh, I really bombed it. It went so badly. And they've still got through to the next stage because I'm guessing other people did even worse. Um, so they're not nice. They're not natural. But 
firms know that. And, and again, you're all on the same level of, of being in that weird situation. Then you've got live virtual interviews where you're sort of virtually face to face with someone and they're asking you questions and, and there's a bit more back and forth. Now, mm-hmm. I think those are better than pre-recorded video interviews, but either way, I think it's a lot harder to build a rapport via a screen. It's probably the main difference. Um, it's also much harder to use eye contact. I think you've got to remember your webcam is your equivalent of eye contact. If you're looking into your webcam, then the person interviewing you will think you're looking them in the eye. It's mm-hmm. very hard to do that when lower down and away from your webcam is the video of the person you're talking to, right? As humans, yeah. we naturally stare at a face when we're talking um, rather than staring at a webcam. So yeah. well, one tip for that, and I, this is when I've coached students in the past, like one of the tips I give them is to stick a post-it note near their webcam with an arrow pointing up to it. So it acts as a constant reminder to recalibrate and start looking at that webcam lens again. On the same bullet, on that same webcam, if they speak too fast, I'll say write the word slow. If they fail to smile or show enthusiasm, I'll draw a smiley face. But that recalibration can can help. Um, mm. But yeah, it's just that rapport point, right? And then you might have to deal with things like internet issues, which firms can be very understanding. So I wouldn't stress when that happens. But um, yeah, I definitely preferred in person interviews when when I was going through this process. Yeah, and do you have any sort of advice on? Um, acing the specifically the pre-recorded ones because I think you know the virtual ones um, where it's sort of live they kind of mimic the normal interviews Um, but the pre-recorded ones how would you make the most use of those maybe 30 seconds that they give you and also what's um, how do you present yourself best through a camera yeah it's it's a hard one I think like you've just you've got to do your prep again you don't know what's going to come up i would do some research to see if you can find examples of what's come up in the past but even if you find a list of questions a firm has asked it doesn't mean those same questions are, are going to come up um so to give yourself the best chance just get everything in check your motivation your commercial awareness your understanding of the legal industry your competencies experiences all of that kind of stuff you've just got to make sure it's in the forefront of your mind but remain flexible and adaptable in the way that you use it but with a video interview because you've got that prep time Maybe that exercise I mentioned earlier where you list out headings of the key competencies and mention experiences underneath them in like the order you would prefer to talk about them. You know, having that as a printout on your desk so that if suddenly a question on communication comes up and you've only got 30 seconds to prep, you can look at that sheet of paper and go, okay, immediately I know what is my go-to experience. And then you can spend the rest of the time thinking about how you're going to structure it. Never script it. It comes across really badly and it's usually so obvious when something's been scripted, but you could do that kind of prep I think um, but otherwise it's more a case of don't convince yourself you've done so badly that the rest of the interview then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're not concentrating because you're just worrying about how badly you think question one went you never know so try and mm-hmm. stay with it um, in terms of coming across well I guess that advice is just as relevant for pre-recorded versus live virtual interviews but a few tips based on like anecdotes I've heard and things I've seen and learned um, familiarize yourself with the platform in advance whatever that platform might be just knowing how to unmute yourself and turn your camera on and, and making sure all of that stuff works, you know, linked to that connecting early, means you're less likely to be totally flustered at the start. So get the tech down, um, dress like you would for an interview in person. And that's like head to toe, not just your top half. You know, we hear all these funny stuff in during lockdowns of, of people wearing like pajama trousers and a, and a suit jacket. But in an interview, someone might say to you something like, how do you organize your time? And you might realize you've got your task 
your actual task list like a couple of meters away in the room. And if you're if you're not dressed appropriately on the bottom half, you can't stand up in the interview and say, I'm just gonna go and get my diary and show you how I plan my time. And that happened in one of my one of my in-person interviews. I ended up getting like my physical stuff out and showing the interviewers how I organize my time. Um, make sure your background is clutter-free. It can be pretty distracting if you've got like silly posters up there or just a complete mess. Um, close your browsers and obviously any kind of apps. I've done webinars in the past where I forgot to close LinkedIn and throughout the webinar, and a couple of hundred people added me. And every time someone added me, I got a notification and you know we're all trained to wonder mm-hmm. about notifications and it became a massive distraction. So careful with that. Um, don't type. Sometimes when you type, it can it can really be picked up loudly in the microphone. You've probably been on meetings where you oh, hear yeah, someone definitely. going like, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. Um, uh, and it might come across like you're trying to search an answer as well. So if you want to take notes, use a pen and paper. If you want to plan an answer in those 30 seconds for pre-recorded videos, just, just use a pen and paper. Um, if you don't have a good mic or a decent kind of laptop setup, consider using headphones. It means you're not going to be distracted by background noise. Um, and the microphone on your headphones hopefully means that background noise won't be picked up as much for the interviewer. Um, a more re- more recent tip is around username. So sometimes if you connect with someone on Zoom, your username by default will be the last username you use. So if you had like a Zoom pub quiz with friends and had a really stupid username, you just want to make sure that's not what then pops up when you're speaking to a firm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just some just some very high level tips there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. The very good advice. Do you have any concluding remarks? Just, you know, anything you wanted to add? Just that I I fully appreciate how stressful the application interview cycle can be. I I still remember, even though it was many years ago, I still remember going through all of that myself. So Mm -hmm. try and stick with it. If you're getting rejected 20 out of 20 times, then you really reflect on your technique, whether it's applications or interviews. But if you manage to get through two or three processes out of 15, don't see that as a bad thing. That's actually a pretty decent success rate. You know, even though I got internship offers from six firms across Magic Circle, US and Silver Circle, I still got rejected dozens of times. So some rejections is absolutely no reflection on your your ability to be a lawyer, even though I know at the time it's it can be very difficult to to stomach that. Um, but yeah, always look, always look for ways to improve and, and don't fall into that trap of comparing yourself to everyone else and seeing all the successes on LinkedIn and thinking that represents oh, yeah. like 90% of the, the student body. It doesn't. People post about the successes, not their failures. And therefore, you get a very skewed impression of what's actually going on from platforms like LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for the reassurance. Um, Hopefully, we'll all get through it well and with offers. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for coming to this podcast. And I hope all the listeners found it very useful. Um, Definitely check out Jake's platform and his guides. Um, They really helped me a lot. So, yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me and and good luck, everyone.